0: welcome to the Global Digital Futures podcast, where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global South. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera. The researcher on this episode was Dervila Nivreynan, and the editor was Eliza Bacon. This week, we are speaking to Samuel Olaniran and Dr. Stephanie Deepfin who have worked on the article Demystifying the COVID-19 Infodemic, Conspiracies, context and the Agency of Users, which is being published in Social Media and Society. Samuel Olaniran is a PhD candidate in the Department of Media Studies at the University of witz and he has lectured at Plateau State University in Nigeria. His research focuses on digital dis- and misinformation, social media and politics, computational propaganda, and digital culture. Dr. Stephanie Diepfen is a research fellow at ODI and a research associate at the University of Cambridge, where she also obtained a PhD in politics and international studies. Her work focuses on the social and political implications of the increasingly digital world. Hello, Samuel. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's nice to meet you.
1: Hi, Chipo. Nice to meet you.
0: So just for some background, like according to the Cambridge English Dictionary, an infodemic refers to a situation in which a lot of false information is being spread in a way that is potentially harmful. Although the word was coined in 2003, it has been increasingly used in the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. And your paper goes in detail into the impact of COVID-19 related conspiracies during the last year and a half or so. Can you give us a brief overview or background into the conspiracies discussed in the article, how they originated and how they took particular route in Nigeria? and South
2: Africa yeah sure maybe I'll just start off in the two conspiracies we ended up looking at the first was the 5g conspiracy and this was really took a lot of different forms but it was really about the idea that 5g technology was making people more susceptible to the covid 19 virus or that actually was involved in directly transmitting the virus or that it was part of some elaborate plan to create the system to track people using microchips that would then be injected through the vaccine. So it sort of gained a life of its own as the pandemic developed. And so we really took this and started with this one because of sort of the global elements to how this conspiracy was taking hold. And the second conspiracy is actually sort of somewhat related and they start to intersect with each other. It was the conspiracies around Bill Gates. And again, this took a couple of different forms globally, but it was the idea that something was going on with Gates to take advantage of vaccines, to address COVID-19, to implement some sort of global surveillance regime. So there were speculations that um, Gates was part of some sort of elaborate plan to actually create the pandemic in the first place, or that he was using the vaccine for ulterior motives for his own personal profit, or to control people through tracking them, or to actually just eliminate certain parts of the world. And again, this was another conspiracy that manifested globally. And So we sought to take these two and then look at them in sort of in the context of two countries to see how they were taking hold and what specifically they were doing in each of those countries.
0: Yeah, great. And Samuel, what would you like to add?
1: She's basically said it, but for the two conspiracies, we looked at 5G and Gates. First is because the 5G conspiracy emerged either as the cause of COVID-19 or as one of the factors that has accelerated the spread of the virus. And then in the case of the second conspiracy, gate, we also looked at it from the point of allegations of Bill Gates taking advantage of vaccines against COVID-19 to implement something that has become a wider spread conspiracy in Africa to say that Gates wants to implement a global surveillance regime. Again, if you want to look at the positionalities of the two countries, Nigeria and South Africa, being among the first countries in sub-Saharan Africa to record COVID-19 cases, you want to understand why we situated our study in those two countries. The two countries, alongside Kenya, host the largest populations of internet users and then they've attracted global attention for their use of social media for mass mobilization. Those were some of the factors that influenced our choice of context. And then, of course, with the pandemic as the main point of reference for us.
0: Really interesting. Yeah. And your research is really interesting because you are questioning why and how conspiracy theories exist, taking it out of the pre-conscribed view that It's false information, it's misinformation, it's uninformed people. And really like looking at the user's agency and engagement with this information. So can you speak about different ways that people with different social presence would interact with these conspiracy theories, especially in this time of crisis? So, you know, regular internet users or politicians or others at the center or periphery of this phenomenon?
2: As you said, a lot of the literature that's out there looking at conspiracies really tries to track the conspiracies as they're manifesting online. So how prevalent are they? They sort of start by labeling what is a conspiracy, and then we try to see how it's spreading. And I guess what we wanted to do instead was to start by stepping back and actually situating the conspiracy within the wider conversations online. And then really get to understand, sort of you say, like why and how people are engaging with them. There's sort of two things that really come out of this are one, conspiracies are a small part of the discussions that are going on. So it's not like we were focusing on Twitter, but it's not like Twitter is just being overwhelmed with conspiracies. There's a lot of different communities. There's a lot of people using this for different types of conversations. So it's not just an infodemic, but it's a much more complex picture. And then the other side of it was that when you look at who's engaging with conspiracies and why, it's relational. So it's looking at other issues in society or other concerns that people have and fears they have and other sort of ideas and places that people go to try and make sense of their context. So it might be conspiracy, but that doesn't mean that why people are engaging with their questioning has no meaning or resonance. And so we're really trying to get to the meaning of it. And I think with that, then what's really interesting, and I mean, we can get into detail specifically about what this looked in each country, but it's that we can't just sort of exceptionalize the recipient of a conspiracy. But we see in Nigeria, politicians engaging with as a part of oppositional politics. You see in South Africa as well, particularly around Gates, it really playing into very legitimate fears about the actual interests of Western countries about vaccination programs, whether it's withholding them, or whether it's doing the testing and the research that so these are things that the issues that have really real concerns of sort of past and ongoing politics. And so the conspiracy has almost become a manifestation of trying to make sense of these bigger issues in different ways in each of the countries but in one that almost it doesn't that that really it's not even just necessarily about the ordinary user the conspiracy theorist the politician but it gets mixed up into these sort of wider relations and plays out depending on people's different real concerns and real feels and real interests
1: our interest was in looking at the broader systems of meaning making in different contexts where a phenomenon like a conspiracy is understood in a broader sense and then it becomes one way through which people make sense of the world according to different social cultural contexts. So we try to look at how regular internet users are morphed into global debates, but then the way they approach the situation has more of local context. Like Stephanie said, we saw in the Nigerian case where politicians seized on the global debate on the conspiracies to push more of local agenda and target ruling government. Again, we looked at the centre periphery dynamics to also make a point that users from the global south, they don't just take information from the global north, but they appropriate situations and issues with understanding of their own local context. So we more or less looked at what they do with conspiracy theories rather than what conspiracy theories do to them.
2: Yeah, just to pick that up, I think that point really about what people do with conspiracies was really important. I think just another point to bring out here is that Conspiracies come about, especially around sort of something like COVID and the infodemic. There's a lot of uncertainty. The information is changing a lot. And there's a lot of reasons to mistrust that are not just about the immediate situation, but have a much bigger sort of history in depth. And I think you can see people trying to make sense of uncertainty, given their past experiences and who they have reason to trust, with how they're engaging with it as well, too. So the picture gets a bit more complex and makes it a lot harder to address, but also sort of gets away from the conspiracy theorist being the other person. But it's all part of our experiences of trying to make sense of a situation with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of reason to sort of mistrust. And I think some of the stuff around COVAX and vaccine hoarding and all of that that has come out really speaks to, especially in South Africa, some of the conspiracies we saw coming out that were about lack of trust about Western medicine or lack of trust about Western countries' interest in sharing the vaccine. And when they did share it, why were they sharing it? Why are they sharing so- Certain ones. And all of that makes a lot more sense when you think about these wider reasons to mistrust and a lot of the uncertainty about really what's going on with the pandemic.
1: And just to add to that, particularly on the issue of regular internet users, our study tried to make a statement that individuals far removed from the center, from the global discourse, where messages originate, where conspiracies originate, do not simply succumb to these messages, becoming passive nodes. For their repetition and amplification. They do specific things with those conspiracies and then these things they do become relevant to the universal meaning of these conspiracies and how they are being used to advance particular interests around the world.
0: Let's take a short break. You are listening to the Global Digital Futures Podcast with Chipo Mapondera, where we discuss the latest in digital media and technology in the global south. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it makes me wonder, with the way that information is being shared and disseminated, so you were looking at Twitter, I'm sitting in Zimbabwe, and for us, a lot of the information was shared by WhatsApp and also YouTube. Is that changing the role of conspiracy theories and what people do with them? Because the information is being shared so much more broadly at the moment and maybe even what you were saying about the fact that conspiracy theories are actually a small part of a really big more nuanced and diverse set of information or whatever but somehow it seems very amplified perhaps because it's on social media being disseminated by the next person rather than like the national broadcast.
2: This is a really interesting point that we've really tried to grapple with. In a sense, you get with this phenomenon that sort of feels like this is really global and it's everywhere, right? But then at the same time, some of the channels that we're communicating with are very sort of personal and local. And I think one thing we really struggled with in this paper was how to conceptualize The fact that we increasingly exist as part of platforms that are global in some ways, information can be shared, especially with the diaspora. COVID conspiracies in France might influence in other francophone-speaking countries. And so there's a real global dimension to the communities we're part of. Then also it's very local, especially if you think about what is it about, I guess WhatsApp is a huge array of very public to very private communications, but what makes it that we listen to something that somebody else sends versus someone else? And I think what's interesting here is that the information is spreading through this combination of global channels, but also playing on some of these more personal relations of trust and the fact it's not global or local, but we can see the fact that we exist in both coming together and how the conspiracies are forming. So we can't just say it's a whole Western phenomenon coming and then Nigerians are sort of playing with it, but it's the global has a role to play. And we can see elements of those discourses circulating also just from Africa backless. It's not a one directional thing here, but then also the local really does matter too. And so I think that's an important thing to think about is how the different platforms sort of invoke different relations of trust and might allow us to pay attention to some information more than others while at the same time sort of giving us a sort of sheer scale and diversity of information that we then also have to process and both things are happening through this and they're coming together in quite an interesting way i think that we need to grapple with i think just another point relates to that too and then i i feel like i might be going on a tangent but um is the point that some of the relations for why we might trust something being shared on whatsapp our relations that are not specific to the technology itself either and i think we need to sort of get away from possibly exceptionalizing conspiracies just just to the digital but these one they're being shared across platforms so yes not everybody uses twitter but some of the same conspiracies we see on twitter also being circulated on whatsapp and two things like conspiracies are not just particular to the digital age but they were part of how people made sense of information amongst repressive governments when you couldn't trust national broadcasters before. And so that level of, of rumor and gossip and politics is present outside of the digital and it's being amplified and it has this global dimension combined with this personal dimension that is possibly new, but we need to try to grapple with what that actually means then, about what's exceptional and what's not exceptional with conspiracies in the current digital age.
1: I would say that Twitter has grown in prominence, not just in Nigeria, but in Africa as a tool of political communication. And I'll just make reference to what is currently happening with the Twitter ban in Nigeria. That states how important a platform like Twitter has become over time. And because users are able to cluster in communities and get information through echo chambers, it becomes a useful space for conspiracies to spread like we would say the platform has become important in terms of the spread and reach of conspiracies so it's not something that would happen in the global north and would not get to a far country like nigeria so that's one of the interests for us to understand how these online communities are engaging, and then how are they able to manage information that comes across to them. You you, you want to look at an issue like the COVID-19 pandemic and the kind of infodemic that came with it. There's a lot of information being circulated and online users are struggling with trustworthy sources. Who do we believe? What information do we consume? And, you know, when you have spaces like Twitter or WhatsApp that help you to push information to places that you wouldn't even imagine would get to, then it becomes very necessary and important to you know research such spaces.
0: Great. And as you're talking about Twitter, your paper focused on Twitter data, right? You were studying data from Twitter. I'd just like to go into your research methods because they were quite interesting. And I always find it is quite interesting with digital research methods as well. What research methods did you use to chart the patterns around the conspiracies, the user interactions, and how the conspiracies were spread? We did a
1: mixed methods research approach that combined uh, computational analysis of publicly available tweets from Twitter and then we, in addition to that, we did a qualitative observation of the communicative context and dynamics of selected social media conversations and communities in Nigeria and South Africa. But to just take you through the process, we built a country-specific search queries made up of relevant hashtags and phrases. And then we collected over 6 million tweets covering a period of two months between March and May 2020. Now, the data set was qualitatively interrogated by a very fabulous and talented team, I would say, to identify the most popular keywords and phrases and hashtags related to COVID-19 and then the different Conspiracies is relevant to both countries. The initial analysis was then used in creating a topic taxonomy that tagged tweets with topics of interest. Then we moved forward to use an algorithm to create an interaction network that captures who interacts with whom on Twitter, focusing on retweets and mentions in their conversation. And all of this is to help us understand the kind of conversations that took place about the conspiracies in the different communities that we were able to identify in both countries, just to give us a broader idea of how these debates fit into the global context and then what kind of nuanced interpretations did they take in the particular countries, Nigeria and South Africa, in this case.
0: Great. Just getting back into the analysis. So you compared the two conspiracies across two countries, Nigeria and South Africa, which uncovered some interesting results in terms of how different rhetorics emerged and how different narratives emerged and how they were used for different political purposes. So could you expand on this in relation to the different political potentialities of the conspiracies, particularly how the narratives interacted with non-mainstream politics and also the different political positions? Because I think it was quite interesting that you're looking at these two countries which could mistakenly be generalized and how the conspiracies are interacted with and how the political positions of those conspiracies but actually there were some very interesting findings.
1: Okay in Nigeria the 5G conspiracy was more directly shaped by local politics and then we saw it intersecting with debates between government and opposition politicians. Within the Twitter communities that we identified, a user, Femi Fanikayode, who is an opposition politician as well, produced the most reactions, you know, connecting 5G, COVID-19, and anti-Chinese sentiments, that was another aspect of the conspiracy is going on globally. Fannikari's comments came on the back of viral social media claims that the Nigerian president had accepted a $1 billion aid from China to install 5G in some parts of the country. His tweets amplified an allegation against the president while also warning the president not to accept any product from China. 5G and COVID-19 were incorporated into local narratives of bad leadership and questionable decision-making by the president himself. And these were familiar with wider political commentary in the country. Femica, Femica, these popular tweets also helped to drive the politicization of 5G conspiracies on Twitter. And the kind of reactions and appropriation of claims that we saw connected 5G and COVID-19 in Nigeria to point to what we described as a pragmatic use of conspiracy theorism in the country.
2: And yeah, I think just comparing that to South Africa, I think that politicization of the conspiracies in Nigeria that really became wrapped up in mistrust of the government and in opposition politics and with these sort of prominent figures wasn't really there in the same way. In South Africa, I think in South Africa, what we tended to see, especially around the Bill Gates conspiracies was more of a playing into the wider existential concerns about a mistrust of Western interests in Africa. And so looking to concerns that there must be some sort of nefarious interest that's driving the vaccine campaigns or driving the lack of vaccine, whether it's to depopulate Africans, whether it's to make sure that white lives in America come first. And all of those sort of very real concerns drove the conspiracy in South Africa a lot more than perhaps we saw in Nigeria, where it was a bit more mixed up with opportunistic politics. And we see some of the opportunistic politics in South Africa coming in every once in a while, sort of mixing in, but it was much more of these sort of bigger concerns about African medication or not trusting Western medication, or really where do Western interests Lie in the West, and sort of that really seemed to frame a lot of the interests around conspiracies in South Africa versus Nigeria, where there's much more of a prominent interweaving of local and national politics into who was telling the conspiracies and, and the sorts of mistrusts that they were generating.
0: So, what did this mean for the legal and political systems in maybe Nigeria more, but also in South Africa? And how did they respond to the widespread popularity of conspiracy theories? Because these theories have a real effect on people's perceptions on different COVID-19 responses, such as the Control of Infectious Diseases Bill in Nigeria and COVID-19 aid from the IMF and the Gates Foundation. I think in South Africa, we're seeing a lot in terms of influencing anti-vaccine sentiments and vaccine hesitancy. So, yeah, how did the actual political and legal systems, how they needed to respond or how have they responded?
1: Okay, thank you. The Control of Infectious Diseases Bill didn't make it. Again, the conspiracies had an effect on that bill because everybody felt it was politicized. Everybody felt the bill was being sponsored by an external actor, who, in this case, Bill Gates, and that there were also connotations that China had an involvement in it. But you would see that the discussions were more centered around how the government needed to clean up the online information ecosystem, drawing reference to how fake news has become an issue of concern in the country. And we also saw attempts by the government to try and regulate social media in Nigeria, which also connects again to the statement I made earlier about the ban on Twitter. But the concern is not about cleaning up the information system. It's about dealing with a historical mistrust and distrust that Nigerians have about the government. In our data set, there was something very important. We saw the centrality of the, the Nigerian government with the NCDC, where they try to channel all conversations, every communication coming from the government about COVID-19 to the Nigerian public. They tried to channel all of that through just one handle because they needed to give a perception to the public that the government was in charge of what was happening, was in charge of managing the pandemic in the country. However, that did not work because of the existing mistrust that Nigerians have for the government. And then we saw how the debates spread out to alternative sources of trust where people rather engage with individuals who had built trust and credibility for themselves before the outbreak of the pandemic, ignoring the government handle, which they felt was bringing more of propaganda and untrue information to them. So it's, it's a case of dealing with a historical issue of mistrust and distrust in Nigeria than the government trying to make a believable statement. Also, there is the absence of a digital media regulation policy in Nigeria. And the government, rather than deal with that, wanted to pass a bill to manage infectious diseases. These are some of the local politics that we saw, you know, coming up in the kind of debates that people had about the pandemic.
0: Let's take a short break. (music) Join the global digital futures community. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at global underscore futures. Let's keep the conversation going. As you were speaking, Samuel, I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, you've already mentioned that the conspiracy theories are such a small part of the wider conversations, but they maybe the government is like zeroing in on that when there's much bigger issues or a much bigger contest of mistrust for the government really so that's really interesting and i also want to Go into the connection between religious figureheads and conspiracy theories because this is a major thing in your paper you discuss the nigerian pastor chris oyaki yes. and you know i've seen that myself here in zim with the zimbabwean prophet makandiwa what is really the motivation of religious figureheads in connecting to and being sharing and being involved in these conspiracies
1: religious figureheads have always had a major role to play in in Nigerian society, whether in politics or in social issues. They command a level of trust, a level of believability, uh, however you want to interpret that. But Nigerians have a tendency to believe what religious leaders say more than the politicians. And for conversations on Twitter that represent only a component of how conspiracies circulated in Nigeria, We need to understand when an individual like the personality of Pastor Chris makes a statement, the kind of impact such statements will have in the interpretation of a particular issue. These leaders largely snobbed Twitter and preferred other channels to reach their followers. It has become a place for them to use privately owned broadcast networks and websites to air their views or sermons to their followers. These private outlets provided channels for them to circulate their interpretation of COVID-19 related conspiracies with a public that was in need of a trustworthy information. Now, it also points to another important challenge to any assumed universality of findings on COVID-19 conspiracies. In Nigeria, not only were these narratives shaped by local politics, but we saw how a prominent pastor like Pastor Chris, who emerged at a point and was making very broad claims about the origins of COVID-19, he made a statement from data that he is not creating a conspiracy theory in saying that COVID-19 has any relationship with 5G. But he said, he's saying that there is a conspiracy, that it's a proven reality and it's a fact. And then, you know, his authority within the religious community gave weight to the 5G conspiracy debates in Nigeria. You want to understand that the personality that lends a voice to a story can add a new dimension to how far it can travel. And for somebody who commands millions of followers across social media platforms, when he makes a statement like that, there's a high probability of people believing what he has said as against what the the fact is. And, you know, he he, he went further to claim that the outbreak of COVID-19 in Nigeria was a decoy to sequester the population for government to covertly deploy 5G. As at that time, there was no 5g technology in nigeria so it helps you to understand that when these religious leaders see a space for them again again they were also trying to secure their church attendance attendance was going virtual and there was a need for them to as much as possible share information that would give confidence to their followers to come for in person services and th- th- those were some of the the factors that are uh, easily Readable into why they acted the way they did with the conspiracy.
0: Thank you so much. It's always an interesting one for me, just also on the ground here, and actually in Zoom. Prophet Makandiwa has backtracked on his earlier perspectives on the vaccine and 5G. So it is really interesting how it's securing attendance, maybe securing relevance as well. Like you said, Samuel, it's really interesting. So just to close, because we've broadly covered the questions that I had, just to sort of summarise what we've spoken about. Do you think that it is therefore of more value to look at the way conspiracies operate rather than examining the contents of the conspiracies themselves, or is it the other way around perhaps?
2: I mean, I guess I'll start and then Samuel can take over and, and, and clarify a bit more. I think the two things are, are very interrelated, how they spread and the content of them. You can't really separate the two, and I think what Samuel was saying around trying to understand Pastor Chris in Nigeria and what he was saying, and how that became a conspiracy. The content is part of wrapped up up with that, but then how it spread and who was telling it and what the interests were helped to explain why it resonated and took hold. And so I think we need to look at both. I think there's been an overemphasis on the idea that we know what's problematic about the content of conspiracies. And I think what this shows is to understand why conspiracy is problematic. You need to understand the context for it and how it becomes meaningful to people and why they're engaging with it. And so in that sense, without understanding how it's spreading, who's involved, what people are wrestling with, what they have reason to mistrust, what they have reason to trust, we're not really going to get anywhere. And I think this points to a really big challenge with something like the COVID-19 vaccines, because there's a really urgent health concern here, right? We need, it's a global pandemic pandemic. We're losing people's lives. There's a strong push that people really need to get vaccinated. But on the other side, there's such big issues of mistrust. And if we just focus on trying to get rid of the conspiracies, we miss all the reasons about why we people have reasons to mistrust a vaccine. And if we don't address the reasons and why they're resonating, we're really not going to bring people on side. And so I think just focusing on content and focusing on giving people the right quote unquote information isn't going to get to that. And it's not going to bring people on side to actually trust the vaccine. So I think the problem is, is that We have a really urgent health crisis and we have an issue that's really, that has really deep roots um, in different countries and really real reasons that drive some of this mistrust. And so I think we sort of got ourselves into this particularly challenging situation, I think. But with all of that said, we're not going to get out of it if we don't think about how and why conspiracies are spreading.
1: Yeah, I would say that the way information spreads on social media, we focus on our study is to say that across both countries, there's evidence that People are taking more information from social media sources than official sources. We saw that in the South African context. And then we also see how mainstream media is being controlled by online conversations. We looked at some of the newspaper reports. You find a correlation, but then you see that the roots of the stories that are being reported fall back to conversations that are going on in spaces like Twitter or Facebook. So that, again, brings us to the issue of media literacy. That because there is a lot of information in circulation, people have access to this information. But how to use or decipher factual information from fake news is really a problem a lot of people grapple with. And we hope that our study would be an eye-opener to spaces like that, that people need to be more conscious about the kind of information they consume the kind of information they produce and what they themselves spread online about any kind of phenomenon at all.
0: Yeah thank you so much for that insight Samuel and Stephanie these are having immediate effects and immediate influences and I think it is really interesting what you said Samuel about media literacy it's more and more important And I know when I was sitting with my mom and aunt who had doubts about vaccine, doubts about Bill Gates, and I was, (laughs) I first was like, oh, this is so silly. But, you you know, they just received a message on WhatsApp and it did influence how they thought. And they didn't really think who sent them the message or why does that person have authority to talk about that? You know, it's a video of somebody speaking, but it does actually influence how people think based on other histories of mistrust and you know previous histories of what has happened in similar situations. So thank you so much to both of you. It's a really really interesting way to look at this particular type of information and how that being conspiracy theories and how they spread and engage with is really fascinating. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode with Samuel Olaniran and Dr. Stephanie Deepfin, who have worked on the article, Demystifying the COVID-19 Infodemic, Conspiracies, Context, and the Agency of Users. You can read this article on the Social Media and Society Journal. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will really help with our ranking. And if you enjoyed the episode, please share the podcast with your friends. You can find us online at www.globaldigitalfutures.com and on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at global underscore futures.